In the words of Winnie the Pooh, how lucky I am to have something that makes saying goodbye so hard. In the name of the one who was and is and is to come. Amen. Well, good morning on this truly bittersweet occasion of my last Sunday here at All Saints, a church so radiant with the love of God. And good grief, being the preacher feels like a coronation every Sunday with the music (laughs) and the pomp and the circumstance. What a blessing it has been to be here. And I promise that I won't take this occasion to tell you everything else I've ever wanted to say, because I do have many more things to say to you, but I know you cannot bear them all before brunch. (laughs) But just just to get it out of the way, the first question people have been asking me and Michael is, have you secured a place yet to live when you move to New York City? And I'm delighted to report that yes, we have found a place to live. You may know that St. Bart's is on the east side of Midtown Manhattan. Well, in God's good humor, we will be just over on the west side in the part of town known as Hell's Kitchen. (laughs) A people in great need of some religion, I hear. This Advent season of preparation has taken on a new resonance in a home filled with moving boxes and all the feelings that come along with departures and arrivals. Excitement, anticipation, fear, grief, gratitude. It is the season when we seek to make clear paths for ones who will come after us as we wait with yearning hearts for the one who will come with a refiner's fire to make all things new, setting the world aright with justice, and freedom, and peace. We wait for nothing less than a new heaven and a new earth. But what will that waiting look like? And how long will we wait? Last week, Andy suggested it might look like expectant parents awaiting the birth of a new child with preparation, a participatory, active waiting. Well, Here's a pandemic rabbit hole that gave me another totally new metaphor for what it might mean to be an Advent people. You know, all that time in front of a computer, and you can wander your way into some pretty obscure corners of the internet. And at one point towards the beginning of COVID, my lifelong fascination with the search for intelligent extraterrestrial life on other habitable planets took over my psyche, and I started uh, renewing my interest through the mediums of Wikipedia, YouTube, and Google, dangerous vehicles for credible information. But I learned that there are multiple concepts for how humans might first journey to distant solar systems and galaxies. Assuming that the most advanced technology conceivable would still travel slower than the speed of light, the journey would take at least hundreds, if not thousands, of years to reach even the nearest stars. And so one concept for this interstellar travel 
is called a generation ship, which is a crude, self-sustaining spacecraft that would indeed transport humans to new heavens and new earths over the course of centuries. These generation ships were first described by physicist Robert Goddard in his 1918 volume, The Ultimate Migration, which speculates on the death of our sun and the necessity of an interstellar arc to save humanity, not unlike Noah's ancient voyage on the sea. Well, these generation ships invoke an ethical and moral conundrum, because is it really fair to the generations between the departure points and the destination who are forced to live and grow, love and reproduce, and ultimately die on a ship for a cause they didn't choose and will never see come to pass? New heavens and new earths someday, but not now, not for them. Well, back down to earth, our fragile island home, it is the only one we have after all. The conscious intention to bring new life into the world can cause enough ethical and moral uncertainty as it is here on planet earth. The second question people ask after, after have you found a place is naturally, well, how many bedrooms? which is really just an oblique way of asking, is there room for me in the end? <laughs> and sometimes you can hear a little bit of our children on the way. <laughs> to answer candidly, one bedroom for now, although you can come crash on our couch anytime, and we are honestly undecided about children. And we recognize the validity and sanctity of so many faithful experiences and choices regarding family and parenthood. And really not just children and parenthood, but any act of generative love. You see, the truth is, every time you and I risk entering deep, deepened relationship, every time we say yes to new life, Every time we risk something new, beginning a new creation, we are not only risking, but friends, we are guaranteed in our endeavors to encounter heartbreak and loss through human conflict and sin, through sickness, our own mortality, and death. And so why would anyone dare to give birth to someone or something who will inevitably suffer, love, lose, and one day die. Tower and temple fall to dust. Only the word of our God shall endure. And so why not guard our hearts and spare the pain and sorrow altogether? Just turn on the news and many would ask why anyone would choose to usher new life into a world in these times so marred by violence, injustice, terror, climate, catastrophe from which none of us are immune, how could it all possibly be worth it? Of course, these times we inhabit are not so unlike the ancient time into which the Savior was born. 
the popular Christmas song, Mary, Did You Know, often comes under scrutiny among nerdy clergy circles this time of year. The lyrics of the final verse ask, Mary, did you know that your baby boy is Lord of all creation? Mary, did you know that your baby boy will one day rule the nations? Well, according to the Bible, Mary knew. Gabriel told her. But here's the beautiful thing. Even knowing what she knew, she still said yes. Can you believe it? Long before women's liberation, long before any reliable family planning, at a time when having heirs was a matter of life and death, the text implies that God gave Mary reason. God gave Mary a choice. God gave Mary space to exercise her agency and consent. Mary had every reason to say, (laughs) no thanks God, not me. Her age, scandal, poverty, her own physical well-being, not to mention those realities she couldn't have possibly known, that she would one day have to say goodbye, bearing witness to the pain and torture of her own son's state execution. And during the agony of losing a child to the forces of evil and death. Some of you have been there. Some of us have been there together in this place. Still, amidst all Mary knew and all that Mary didn't know, Mary said yes to love, yes to new life, yes to this new thing God was doing in the world, yes to the new song stirring in her soul. Stunned by God's favor towards her, still her response to the angel Gabriel resounds down through the ages. Let it be with me, Lord, according to your word. Mary had every reason to say no, but God, but God. In saying yes, in risking Yes, in stepping out in faith, Mary became the ultimate God-bearer, mother of God, modeling the vocation we all share as people of faith to be God-bearers in the world, what the prophet Malachi calls living temples to the Lord. And friends, our Advent hope is this, that yes, Christ came into the world, Christ will come again, and Christ comes into the world even now. For God, Emmanuel, is with us. And because God is with us, we know that our yes is worth it. Yes to hope. Yes to life. Yes to love. Yes, even through the sorrow in the middle of the night, because we know that joy comes in the morning. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. The gospel song says, because I know who holds the future, and life is worth the living just because he lives. Friends, we are on a journey to a new heaven and a new earth, not in outer space, right here, right now, with God, Emmanuel, 
who is with us. A journey laden with joy and suffering, pain and delights. A journey that is worth it, though. A generation's long journey towards God's kingdom come on earth. For blessed be God's kingdom now and forever. We pray at the beginning of every service as we come together as the people of God to reorient our hearts and our lives to the kingdom life that doesn't sacrifice the joy of the Lord on the altar of our fear and our comfort zones and our safety and security, but steps out in faith to say yes. Where is God inviting your yes today? Somebody here needs to hear that you've come too far. God has brought you too far to turn around now. Amen. We have been born again into a living hope in the God who is with us. All saints, Christ is alive in this place. Hope is alive in this place. And here's what you've taught me. The spiritual giants such as Martha Stern and so many of you sitting in the pews. You know here at All Saints that this life of faith This great cloud of witnesses we share in God's church is a generation-to-generation-to-generation enterprise. Generation-to-generation. It's something the prophets understand deeply. Do you remember King's ominous words the night before he was assassinated? I may not get there with you, but I want you to know tonight that we as a people will get to the promised land. In an age of instant everything and quick fixes, All Saints is a long game church. A long game church wrought of countless saints over too many decades to give anyone but God the full glory due. And you are a witness to the power of deep commitment and rootedness and spiritual maturity that this world so desperately needs. And it's been a gift to me. So thank you. And thanks be to God. How glad I am am to have been on this generationship of sorts with you these past three and a half years. You know, more than half of that time has been in the wilderness of COVID. But thanks be to God, let me tell you that COVID can't steal our joy. Because Delta this and Omicron that ain't got nothing on the Alpha and the Omega. The beginning (laughs) and the end. Can I get an amen? We've come this far by faith in partnership with vaccines and tents and space heaters and Zoom and a healthy dose of Christian Hope and patience with one another. <laughs> what what a, a beloved community to ride out this pandemic together. Well, I had to begin this sermon with crazy talk about extraterrestrials because the rest of the sermon truly preaches itself. Our appointed readings for today could not be more perfect, and we didn't choose them. The National Church assigned these readings to us. And in lieu of a psalm today, 
We, we sing a psalm every Sunday except today. In lieu of a psalm today, we sang the song of Zechariah, my namesake. A canticle of praise offered by a priest who finds his voice. The angel Gabriel was patient with young Mary. But you may remember, Gabriel had less time for the elder priest's unbelief. When Zechariah doubts Gabriel's news that he and his wife Elizabeth, advanced in age, will bear a child, the angel renders him mute for nine months. And not the kind of mute you can turn off on Zoom. (laughs) Thank you for giving this young priest space to find his voice more and more in this pulpit. While I have never been mute, there have been plenty of moments over these years that have left us speechless. A global pandemic, racial upheaval, political unrest, not to mention personal tragedies, losses, and deaths, together with those gifts of unspeakable joy, births, baptisms, weddings. Your embodiment of the gospel in this place has continually given me something to say about the power of God's love and grace in action. We have lived it together. And our shared life will continue to inspire my ministry for many years to come. Zachariah's song is overflowing with joy and gratitude as he gives thanks for his miraculous son, John, and for the Christ who is coming into the world. You get the sense that this elder priest, Zechariah, is simply in awe that he even gets to play a minor role in what God is up to in his time and place. It's a beautiful song, this Benedictus, this song of Zechariah. I'm convinced that Zechariah was a proto-Episcopalian priest. And he's so filled with joy and wonder and awe, I don't even think he minded that his son John became a Baptist. (laughs) In that same spirit, I am in awe of all saints. There's no place like it. And I'm so grateful to have played just a small role in what God has been doing in this place for generations to generations and generations to come. Finally, in our gospel reading, we encounter John the Baptist by the River Jordan at the nexus of time in which Pontius Pilate and Herod and the Emperor Tiberius and all those fancy names and titles and leaders become merely a footnote in the unfolding reign and kingdom of God breaking into this world in Jesus Christ. And so here John invites you and me in this moment once again into that eternal current where we find ourselves with the unnumbered millions on the journey together to nothing less than a new heaven and a new earth here and now and not quite yet. So let us wade in the water once more, 
join the generations of faithfulness, knowing it is worth it. For even apart, we journey together in hope. For God, Emmanuel, is with us, holding us forever in an embrace wide enough to bridge any distance with a love that is stronger than even death. In closing, I can only echo Paul's words to his beloved church in Philippi. This is my prayer for us, for you, and for me. I thank my God every time I remember you, constantly praying with joy in every one of my prayers for all of you saints because of your sharing in the gospel from the first day until now. And I am confident of this, that the one who began a good work among you will bring it to completion by the day of Jesus Christ. And so for all that has been, thank you. For all that is yet to come, let us say yes, yes, and amen.